building update real quick. Not a lot uh, internally other than finishing up on the demolition. The steel is here seven weeks early. Yeah. So looking for Todd. I don't see... Okay, Pastor Todd uh, had a great chance to um, just, uh, just give testimony. So, um, you know, the builder and all of the builder's subs were together, and the steel arrives, and they were actually surprised by it. And they said this to Todd, we have no idea why this is here so early. It's going to have to change our schedule on how quickly we start construction, right? What? So Todd goes, I know exactly why it's here early. He said, there's a church full of people praying for this steel uh, to be here. And so those guys said, could we give you a list of other projects you could begin <laughs> to pray for? And I said, no, their time and attention is dedicated to just this one project. So uh, seven weeks early, uh, which is just, it's an amazing thing. Thrilled about that. And then um, I wanted to show you real quick. I, I'm going to try every week to have something it may not be a lot, but just some kind of picture that you can take with you. So they put banners up uh, this week on the building real quick. These are just temporary future home of Jubilee Fellowship coming 2022. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's on both sides of the building. So when you're driving by, we've already got some calls uh, on it of people just wanting to know a little bit more about it. But um, guys, it's moving now, and I hope um, permits are, are here uh, construction will start, could start the week of Thanksgiving, but the honest truth is I don't think there's going to be any week or during the week of Thanksgiving, but that next week uh, uh, of December, be the first weekend in December that uh, it begins to fly now with construction. And so if you go by there to look at it in the back of the building, north side of the building, for those of you who were at Trunk or Treat, where we did the Trunk or Treat at, that's in that little part, all the construction trailers are there. Um, they want you to have a hard hat to go inside the building. It's an insurance regulation, and there's only so many people that are allowed to go at a time anyway. So you're always welcome to go by and check it out if you want to do that and see what the progress uh, looks like. But you do need to check in at the construction trailer on the north side of the building, get a hard hat. If you go in there without that, um, they like to yell, right? That's their, their, they're great at building and they're great at yelling, it appears. And so... Uh, stop there, but you are more than welcome at any time to go by and check it out. And we're also trying, just like Jake said, we're trying to do some different events like the hot chocolate thing on the three Fridays in a row. We're doing it at the new facility so that if you haven't had a chance to come by and, and see what's going on, it'll be a natural built-in time to be able to check it out and just uh, go there. And I would encourage you to do it, man. It's, it's exciting. Um, next year at this time this will seem like a very distant memory that we were here and one more thing forgive me for preaching before I preach one more thing uh, I felt like this week just praying about Lord why, why did it go this way why did we end up in an interim why couldn't we have gone from our building into uh, the new building why not that smooth transition I felt like part of it was that the Lord said to me uh, John it keeps you in a place of recognizing what your source is, right? I'm always your source. And when you end up in places where, you know, it's just always easy and it's always smooth, you can tend to forget that I'm your source and that I'm the one who is moving. And it makes you more appreciative and puts you in a posture to be praying and to be asking and to be talking to me. I'll tell you what, I, I will, I, I, I'll take whatever journey the Lord wants me to be on as long as I'm closer to him uh, when it's all said and done. And so church, 
I just, you know, want to encourage you. Don't see this as a, like, you know, what are we doing in the meantime? I think the Lord's doing a lot in our church right now, to be honest with you. I'm really thrilled with what's happening right now. So, um, yeah, that's the latest, greatest. And uh, if you get a chance, go by there and check it out. Okay, we're in a series called The Unexpected Words of Jesus. And what we're doing is just taking some of Jesus' statements throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and when we say unexpected, we don't mean like, uh, that was weird, or wow, I, I, I can't imagine that. It's just that he, would, he, would, he, he was always thinking and showing things about the kingdom that if you're not really in tune with what God's heart is, it'll surprise you, it'll just catch you by surprise sometimes. And so what we're going to do today is to look at one that happened, it's around the idea of giving, and yet it's not about giving. And I'll explain that in just a minute. So this is Mark 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury or the offering. Real quickly, how many of you are glad that we don't sit and watch as you put money into... I, can you imagine the pressure that must have been on that just a little bit, right? Like, I, you know, that had to be a little bit of an awkward, uh, awkward thing. And so Jesus is watching as the crowd is putting in their tithes and their offering. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So if you know, the title of the story is The Widow's Might, M-I-T-E. And several times in Israel, through archaeological digs, they found some of those coins from back uh, in, during that time. And a widow's might literally is, it's the smallest of coin. We don't even, a dime would be the closest thing that we would have to it. And a mite was probably about half the size of a dime, right? So it's just this little tiny copper coin. One of those things that could get lost easily if you're not paying attention. She has two left to her name right and literally takes these two pennies is the equivalent and puts it in the offering and that's what Jesus is watching it's worth only a few cents calling his disciples to himself Jesus said truly I tell you here are the unexpected words this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others they all gave out of their wealth but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on now just right off the bat if you don't understand the context of this, and I think, uh, quite honestly, I learned some things about it that I had never seen before either. If you just look at it on face value, you would say this is about giving, yes or no. It's what you would, you would look at. But quite honestly, it really is not about giving, it's about the heart. And so when I was studying this week, interesting philosophy. Let me just throw this out to you real quick just to give you some context, right? A lot of people don't think this verse should ever be used in giving because it makes people feel like if I'm not giving everything that I have, if I'm not putting it all in, then I'm not doing the right thing. And so it can be used to manipulate people. And so there's even a group of people out there who are saying this is actually a negative because Jesus doesn't have any superlatives for what this woman did. He doesn't praise her. He just points out to the disciples that she gave from her poverty while the wealthy gave out of their abundance. And so this, these, this particular group of people feel like, hey, this should never be used in the idea of giving. Now, that kind of struck me funny. I'm like, well, I, I mean, certainly it was about giving, but I do think that there's more to it than giving. So I, I was kind of looking like, why do they think this? Right before this verse, it talks about the Pharisees who devour widows' houses. And then Jesus even says of those Pharisees that God is going to deal with them harshly. 
I would not want to be dealt with harshly by the Lord, man. I always want to be dealt with with grace and mercy. But he says of people who deal treacherously with widows that God will deal with them harshly. Then it tells the story of this widow who feels compelled to give all that she has, even from her poverty. So they, they draw this conclusion that this story is not really, uh, Jesus isn't praising what this woman did because he doesn't use any superlatives. There's no praise in it. But if that's how you're going to measure it, then he, neither does he curse the woman or, or have any discouraging words about what she did. And so what I really found out is these people who don't feel like this should be used in giving, they're actually an anti-tithing movement. So they have an axe to grind. But honestly, after studying this verse and kind of reading up on it, I would agree it's not really about giving, it's about the heart. And Jesus is praising this woman for what she did. He's pointing out to the disciples, this woman has a heart. Everybody there had some type of heart for God or they're not there. But this woman had a heart that was all in. She wasn't just giving from something that was easy for her to give or something that didn't make really that big of a difference. She gave from a place it was very costly for her to sacrifice for Jesus, to sacrifice for the kingdom, to sacrifice for the Lord. And I think that's what the whole thing about. And so today's message is not really about giving. It's about the heart is everything. So if you're taking the online notes and you want to fill in the blanks, the very first ones are this. Let's talk about the difference between a hard heart and a soft heart. A hard heart and a soft heart. Luke chapter 7. This is also Jesus who is uh, in the middle of a dinner that he's invited to. And look at this story that takes place. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Now let me stop. How did she get in the house? I, did she? So Eric just said broke in. I'm not sure. Because in this story, the Pharisee is about to point out what a wicked woman this is. He's about to judge her. Judge her motives. Judge what she does. He's actually about to judge Jesus because he's going to say, if he really was a prophet, then he would know what kind of a sinful woman. She's a prostitute. What kind of a sinful woman this is that's anointing him right now. And Jesus deals with this guy's heart. But my question is, did she show up with the box? They know who she is. Did she open the door and go, package for Jesus? And then they were like, okay, come on in. I mean, what was it that let... Just, I, now maybe you're like, who cares? I care. These stories bother me like he's judging her, it's his house, he doesn't want her there, but how did she get in there? What was it that allowed this woman into the house? So she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. Yes or no, that would be a bit awkward at a dinner. So now when's the last time you went to dinner and that happened? And if you did see that, would you just be like, oh, that's interesting, or would you be like... Would you pull your feet back? Like, don't come this way. How would you be about this? What are you watching? What are you seeing? So she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so it's not out loud, it's in his head, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. You imagine. 
you just think like, you know, between me and myself. And the Lord's like listening. Oh, here, let me answer your question. Well, I, I didn't say anything. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. I just call it $500. And the other owed him $50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Here's the question. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt that was forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, you would think that after the lesson with Simon, they'd all just kind of think blank thoughts, like... Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's a powerful story. I only point out just the awkwardness of it because it's not this everyday thing that happens here. And the reason it made it to the Bible is it's a miraculous story about a woman who also gave all. If you understand just a little bit of the context here, as a prostitute, this woman has no future hope. She's not marriage material at that time in Israel. She's given all of that up in order to try to make a living today. What brought her to that place, by the way? Those are the nuances we never think about. I don't know. But this is not a chosen lifestyle because she's like, here's a way to get ahead in the world. Something happened that put this woman in this place. And her means of some type of retirement for her future is found in the idea of this perfume. She would have taken whatever money she could have scraped together after taking care of all of her debts, feeding herself. Who knows if she has a child or two? Whatever it took to make it, this woman is trying to do that. And for her future, she would have begun to save to buy this perfume so that in her retirement, she could sell this very expensive perfume to have some means to support herself after she could no longer make money. Do you understand? Is that enough nuance for you? And so this woman takes her retirement, basically. And if I said this is hard-earned money, does that offend you? This is hard-earned money. Not right, but hard-earned. And she took the little bit of future support, her retirement, and breaks it in order to anoint Jesus. And then it's pointed out that what this woman has done, this sinful woman, what she's done is more righteous than you. Because I came to your house and in a dusty desert climate, the minimum that should have been done was that he would wash his feet off. But he wouldn't do that for Jesus because he was above it. It was the customary thing to do to greet someone with a kiss. But Simon won't do it because Simon won't dirty himself with Jesus. You've done nothing 
in order to greet me or to take care of me or to show me that you really want me here. But this woman comes here and does the most and you judge her. And I read this story and it's so easy to then judge the Pharisee, yes or no. It's so easy to identify with a person who loves Jesus because we do and then to judge a person who doesn't. But my question to you is, do you ever play the Pharisee in your life? Do you ever see people who are sinners? And then easily judge them and say, this dirty, this unclean, this filthy, this wicked. And then find yourself in that place where you're, you're, you don't like the story when you read about this Pharisee, you want to identify as being on Jesus' side. But all day long, we're confronted with people just like this woman. And then you have the choice to either be Jesus or be a Pharisee. And I wonder, who are we? So I can't judge you or talk about you. I'm not with you all day long. I don't know what you do. But I can give you a story from my life this week. It seems to me more and more you find people at intersections with signs. Know those people? Uh, and it seems like, man, um, some of them I recognize more than once. Some of them you only see once. Maybe they're just passing through. I'm not sure what the story is there. I know this, though. Seems like much of what I read about those people is that they're just begging and that they actually don't need it or they're using it for things that they shouldn't be using it for, like drugs or alcohol. or They're, they're doing things with the money that's not upright and righteous. And so you're supporting them, encouraging them if you give money to them. And isn't it easy then for us just to simply turn our... Anybody like this, that when you pull up, your car happens to be the one that's right next to the guy at the red light? Anybody? What do you do? Do you stare them down? Or do you find yourself, ooh, doo, 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 doo. oh, I like this song. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, green light, time to go. <laughs> I was at Mineral in Santa Fe, across the street from Aspen Grove. I'd gone to see my mom, so I'm coming back on Mineral, uh, going westbound, getting ready to turn southbound onto Santa Fe. So if you can picture where that's at right there. And there was a guy right there who looked like a sinner. I can spot him. I don't see any in here. Past. Never mind. And so he had a sign that just said, uh, hungry, anything will help. Hungry, anything will help. And so... Uh, as I get into the turn lane, I'm about eight cars back, and the guy's up by the light, and I'm waiting for the light to change, and so here's, here's for me, not, not for you, I'm not telling you what to do for me. Something that the Lord challenged me a long time ago is unless you really know the story, why don't you err on the side of mercy? If you're gonna, if you're gonna judge it, why not err on the side of mercy? Now, if you know different, then you're responsible for a different understanding. But if you don't know, and how do you know? And so maybe you go, well, you know because anybody that's worth their weight wouldn't be out there holding a sign. <laughs> Dude, I bet it's a very thin thread between you and a sign. A lot thinner than you think it is. And things can change a lot quicker than you think they can. But I'm about seven cars back 
And the signal turns green. So I had said to the Lord, when he had told me, err on the side of mercy, I said to the Lord, okay, uh, A, do I have any money in my wallet? Oh, I just went to the bank. Okay, I got some cash. All right, God, um, if the light turns... Anybody else have these conversations? Is that why you're laughing? If the light turns uh, and I'm going, then obviously I'm supposed to just drive right by this guy, right? And so, sure enough, man, the light turns, off we go. That is the shortest light in Denver. So I end up eyeball to eyeball with this guy. And he didn't look like he was in his right mind. He certainly didn't look like he had his life together. And all of these thoughts are going through my head. And I just came an hour before reading this verse and studying this message. And I'm just asking this question. How easy is it to fall into the role of a Pharisee? We read this message 2,000 years later with the benefit of knowing it was our Jesus who was involved in it. So, of course, I would take her side. But the truth of the matter is... Just like I pointed out, if you were watching some woman who came in, who's disheveled and she's crying, and she's weeping on Jesus' feet and dry, it's probably out loud, probably nobody can talk, probably making a scene, agreed? Probably very messy. We read it 2,000 years over and it's been sanitized. There's no dirt with it. There's no mud with it. It's just our Jesus. This woman did an awesome thing. I would take up her side and I would be against that Pharisee. And yet I think every day in life we play this role. Can you see that woman? Or do you play the Pharisee? So I grab my wallet. It doesn't matter how much. It was his lucky day because I had gone to the bank and the light turned and now I know that the Lord wants me to say something to him too because it's easy just to crack the window and hand a bill but it's another thing to say hey, God wanted me to give this to you God loves you God cares for you God sent me to you maybe we call it a red light witness. It lasted as long as the light lasted. And of course the guy's like, yeah, yeah, that's all, yeah. I don't know. You know what? I don't really think it was for him. I think it was for me. It was a check on my heart again. Do you have a hard heart or do you have a soft heart? And some of you are sitting here right now and you're judging me for giving someone money because you think you don't waste money on something like that and you're a Pharisee. And I don't mean it ugly because I'm a Pharisee too. I play a pastor at church. A Pharisee who can judge someone or a person who can love Jesus extravagantly. What does it mean to love him extravagantly? It means like a widow who's not showing off and who can't keep up with the Joneses because she doesn't have it. But what she does have, she's not there in order for... In fact, I think Jesus is probably discreet where he's not sitting there watching. I think he's at a distance observing. And what she does, it's her all, her best 
because she's all in for God. It's not about giving, it's about her heart. It's easy to teach a message on giving and make people feel bad, but it's harder to teach a message on the heart so that God then can then speak about what you should do. Did you get that? It should always be about the heart. Always be about the heart. And my question to you is, do you have a hard heart or do you have a soft heart? Because the difference between the two is everything. The Lord can use a pliable heart. The Lord can mold and he can shape and he can direct a heart that's soft. But it is so hard for God to move a hard heart. In Jesus' hometown, the one place he couldn't do miracles was in a town full of people who had hard hearts. Now it was used little faith, but it's a hard heart because they said, this is the guy that grew up with us. We saw this guy every, they judged him. Every place else, he just came from raising the dead, healing the sick. And he comes to his town and he can't do any great miracle except heal a few people because of their hard hearts. Hard heart or soft heart. Here's the second thing that I found in this message. Fill in the blank. Where is your heart? Where is your heart today? You know the problem with asking that question is? It says in the book of Jeremiah, the heart is deceitfully wicked and no one knows for sure. So you think your heart's in a particular place. And God gives us a litmus test and uses wording that helps us discover where our heart is at. So let me read it to you. It's Jesus' words. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Are you looking? Nobody move. I'm going to say it one more time. Am I making a mistake? Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Is it behind me? Am I making a mistake? I'm going to read it one more time. Read the words while I'm reading it. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also? No. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I ask you today where your heart is, you will tell me my heart is for Jesus and the things of God. How do you know? Because the heart is deceitfully wicked and you think things about your heart. But there's a litmus test. Go back to that scripture real quick, guys. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. If I said where your heart is, there your treasure you'll all agree. But the litmus test is just simply this. Wherever your treasure is, that's actually where your heart is. So tell me what your treasure is. Last week I talked about politics. The church today has so many people who are so into politics, that's actually where your heart is at. Because that's where your treasure is. It's where you spend your time. It's where you give your money. It's where you give your prayers. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with politics, but politics cannot become your Lord and your Savior. In heaven, you will not find the Republican corner. You will not find the liberal gutter. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get email on that one right there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. You know what you will find? One banner with the lion of the tribe of Judah as its source. You will not find a denomination, a preference, a color, an age, a louder, quiet. 
You find one group of people loving Jesus totally. Where's your treasure? That really tells me where your heart is. My treasure is Jesus. Jesus is first and foremost in my life. Now, I'm still practicing that. I'm still learning from that. I'm not perfect in that. But Jesus comes first. Second is my wife. And if you know me, you know it's true. It's not about what I think. It's about what I do. Where's my treasure? My treasure is right here. It's right here. After her are my children and my grandchildren. Which one comes first? Grandchildren. It's easy. It's easy. Love my children, but my grandchildren. Huh? Kathy Melson? It's easy. (laughs) And my friends in this church. So how do you know that's where your treasure is? So I was talking to the staff this week. You know, every time we get up here and we're doing the announcements, we haven't told any of our pastors to say we've been here for 23 years. I think the very first weekend I stood up as a joke and said my skillful pastoring has brought us right back to a school gymnasium after 23 years. And then all the pastors have kind of like latched onto that. Hey, we're not a new church. We've been here for 23 years. We're going someplace. I, I, I get it, right? I get it. But the truth of the matter is what I told my staff this week is the reason I've stayed 23 years is not because it's a good gig. Not because the money is too much to walk away from. Not because the fame is too great. Man, I've stayed for 23 years because this is where my treasure is. My all is here. My heart is here. My mind is here. My soul is here. I will be here until I can't be here anymore. And if you're like, oh, we were hoping. Sorry. (laughs) It's with my wife and it's with my children and it's with my Jesus. So I can stand up and I can tell you, oh, my heart is here. All you need to do to know if I'm blowing smoke at you, look at my treasure. What have I made the treasure of my life? And if you want to know where your heart is, tell me where your treasure is. Tell me where your treasure is. For some people, their treasure is their job. And for some people, their treasure is their bank account. And for some people, their treasure is their title, the house they live in. All cool things, by the way. You can have them, but they can't have you. And that's the problem. All of that stuff vies for your heart. And it has to come in way distant down the road. (laughs) Jonathan Murley, our missions pastor, Um, John and I go back about 30 years, and some of you are familiar with Jonathan's story, but we were talking this week when we were just sharing about, like, you know, where is our treasure, and why are we doing what we're doing? And I asked the staff, tell me about your treasure. Tell me what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, man, I'm going to use in the next several weeks some of the different testimonies. I got some really cool ones from some new believers that love Jesus and God's doing some great things in their life, and I want to share those. But I asked Jonathan Murley today to share for just a few minutes a little bit about who he is and where his treasure is. So would you welcome our missions pastor, John Murley. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, what a great honor. Just a couple of days ago, Pastor John uh, asked me to share my testimony real quickly. And I had two thoughts when he did. The first thought was, man, that's just so many 
people he could have chosen to do it and what a great honor it is. The second thing is, how does one fit 33 years of a journey into five minutes? So here we go. All right. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to do it. Uh, that's why I actually have it uh, scripted a little bit. So when I was 15 years old, I gave my heart to Jesus. There's something about 15 years old, Pastor John. There's something about that. But when I was 15 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. When I was 16, I actually went on my very first mission trip. And when I look back at that month-long mission trip experience, it was a life-changing moment because it was the first time that I heard the voice of God. I did grow up in a Christian home, but that was the first time that I had heard the voice of God for myself. And that changed me at my core. God spoke so clearly to me that he had a plan for my life, and he deposited into my heart a calling not just for the United States, but for the world to the ends of the earth. He put that in my heart when I was 16 years old. And the words that he spoke to me just weren't for that that month-long time that I was in Central America, but that it would actually be for my lifetime. That's what he spoke and deposited in my heart. And being in an environment like that was a difference maker for me. It's actually one of the reasons why we do mission trips here, short-term mission trips. It's why we do it for young people, because it is a difference maker in their life. So after high school, I actually went immediately into missions. I was a missionary for a few years, and then I decided, hey, uh, living on $550 a month isn't the best thing, so I should go to uh, get an education. So I went to university. I got my undergraduate degree in nursing. I practiced as a nurse in oncology and bone marrow transplant. Then I got a job in pharmaceuticals. I went to business school, and I climbed the corporate ladder with the company that I was with, and I finished as a a global director for key customer management. God really blessed us during this time. He blessed us with favor. He blessed us with financial stability, and I really loved my company. I really did. It was a good company, good mission, uh, mostly good people. So I want you to hear this. When I had nothing to my name, when I had no material possessions, when I was living on $550 a month as a missionary, I had this desire in my heart that I wanted to change the world. That was still in there. It burned. And when I had everything materially that I'd ever thought about or dreamed about, when I had all that I had worked for, I still had that in my heart. In fact, I remember crossing a threshold that many people uh, work towards. I was in my early 30s, and I crossed this threshold, and I was like, wow, that, that didn't feel quite like I thought it would feel. I still had this thing burning in my heart. I wanted to change the world for good and for God, even though I still had all the things that I'd ever thought about, that that was what I was working for. That's how I knew there was something of substance to that calling when God spoke to me when I was 16. Because it was there when I was young and it was there when I was a little bit older. It was there when I had little and it was there when I had everything that I hoped for. It was there in the good times and it was there in the bad times as well. I want to read this scripture that Pastor John just read. But I want to read it from a different translation because I, I like the way that it adds color to it. It's uh, Luke 12, 34. It says, the place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Let me read it again. The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. You know what? 
Financial success wasn't empty for me. Financial success was not empty for me. It had a measure of fulfillment. In fact, it was actually pretty good anesthesia, if I say it like that. But it wasn't completely fulfilling. I knew there was more. It wasn't fully, it was incomplete. That makes sense. So I've condensed my story down so much. I wish I had uh, more opportunity or more, more time. But I've had mentors in my life that helped train me, shape me both formally and informally. Formally through assignments, through projects, through teaching, and informally through relationships and doing, doing life together. They've helped take this dream and calling at 16 years old and everything I've learned in the 33 years since then. It's the Mr. Miyagi, up and down, up and down, wax on, wax off. All those things that you're like, why am I doing this? They've helped take all these things and this has been the difference maker for me. I was able to hold on to that treasure. Those words of gold that God spoke to me when I was 16, that he continues to speak to me, And that has been the difference maker for me. It hasn't been a straight line. There's been ups and downs. But listen to this. When I was 16, I said, yes, God, I want my life to count. So whether you're six, whether you're 16, or whether you're 60, if you say, yes, I want my life to count, God hears that. I want to ask you a question. Do you know that every single person sitting here every single person that's watching us online, every single person that will hear this down the road, you have a ministry and you have a calling. Every single person. No, not everybody has a a vocational call like Pastor John or I or the pastors here on staff, but every single one of you has a calling on your life. You have a ministry. That is how God, that's how he made you. He's actually deposited something in you that this world needs. No matter how it started, whether it was planned or whether it was unplanned, whether it was on purpose or whether it wasn't, there's actually something in your DNA that this world needs. Because if it wasn't, you wouldn't be here. That's the God that we serve. Your destiny is intertwined with his story. It's inextricable from his plan for this world. That's the God that we serve. That is who he is. What is that treasure? What is that treasure? Because that's where you will most want to be. So thank you, Pastor John, for letting me share that. It's five minutes, not long enough. (laughs) I love Jonathan. It's been fun to watch the Lord move in his life and put him in the position that he's in. And I asked him to share and chose him of all the different ones because I wanted to speak to people today on this issue of the heart. Where's your heart? And you can't answer that. You answer it by where your treasure is. And Jesus has asked the question, what's the most important commandment? And I said last week, if Jesus is about to answer the question of the most important and you're a Christ follower, you're not just observing from a distance. You're not just in it because somebody invited you, but you are a Christ follower. You love him and have given your heart to him. Then if Jesus is about to say, here's the most important, you wipe the sleep from your eyes, you open your ears, you lean forward and you pay attention. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And if you're a Christ follower, then you don't argue about that. You don't debate that. You don't even say, how could this be possible? You say to the Lord, make me willing to be willing then. Help me. John said yes a long time ago. And through the last 33 years, did anybody else add up how old he is as soon as he said 16 and 33? Anybody else do that? I just wondered if you think like I do. Ah, 49. When will you be 50? August. In August. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your treasure at? Here's the last one. God is about healing broken hearts. You know, when we ever think of a broken heart, we think of maybe a person who's been super wounded in a relationship or uh, someone who's been betrayed, but life brings broken hearts at different times, doesn't it? Broken because things didn't work out the right way. Broken because you might look at the world today and wonder, what's happening? Broken because maybe something's happening with your children. Maybe you don't have children. Broken because of a relationship, broken because of health, broken for a lot of reasons. Luke chapter 4, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he has sent me to heal, say it with me, the brokenhearted. If I continue in that real quick. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Do you know that the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee? That's why we call it Jubilee. This is God's time. It's His moment. And that's what this church is about. John said there's something about being 15. <laughs> Some of you can't even remember being 15. When I was 15, the Lord called me too. Some of you have heard my story, my testimony. Uh, it was weird. Uh, I was brokenhearted. My story, real quick, we were living in San Diego at that time. My mom was married to my stepfather, who was an abusive person. His MO was that as soon as everything got normal and life was like normal, we're in school and we'd eat breakfast and lunch and dinner at these times, as soon as everything got normal, he would pack up all of his stuff and leave and throw us into chaos. So we were living in San Diego, probably at one of the most normal times I experienced as a teenager, and we came home one afternoon, and he was gone. Only this time he didn't come back in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. My mom had to sell the house. We had to move back to Louisiana and move in with my uncle. I was brokenhearted. I didn't know who I was, where I was, or what I was doing. And the craziest thing happened. I picked up a Bible, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said to the Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Is that not crazy for a 15-year-old to say? And I wasn't about God, I wasn't about spiritual things, but I asked. And so I started thumbing through a Bible, playing Bible roulette. Ever played it? And I landed on Luke chapter 4. And I read the words out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. And when I said the words, listen, listen. 
What makes the Bible different than every other book is it's not ink and paper. It is a living, breathing testimony to God's love. It's a love letter written to you from God. It was as though God himself reached up and grabbed my face and pulled it down to the page. I've called you to tell people good news about me. I was so excited. I ran in the other room at my uncle's house and I woke my mom up. God just spoke to me. I'm going to be a preacher. My mom was like, oh, that's nice. Actually, my mom got up with me and said, we need to figure this out. There was a small Pentecostal church in a little town in Louisiana and my uncle John took me to meet the preacher. And I sat in the preacher's office and I said to the preacher, the Lord spoke to me last week. In the middle of the night, I asked him what I'm supposed to do and he told me I'm supposed to be a preacher. And the pastor said to me, son, God doesn't speak that way. Yep. I turned red. I felt my ears get hot. I was embarrassed. God, if I could have climbed under a rock right then and there, I would have done it. My uncle said a few things. I couldn't hear any, you know that, that's all I could hear. Like it was turned up to 20. And I just wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. What an idiot. You would think that God wants you, you idiot. You're nobody, you're nothing. You don't even have a life. Who would want you? Why would anybody want you? And for the next four years of my life, man, I did everything else except serve God. In his mercy, though, just like John said, God always would remember me. And doing all the things that I thought would bring me joy. Moved out of my house. Emancipated myself. Lived the life that I thought I wanted to live. Tried to live like a 35-year-old when I was 17. And no matter how high I got, or how drunk I got, or how far I got, or how many people I was with, somewhere at the end of it, it would always come back to where God somehow would come close to me. No matter how much I was sinning, he would come close to me. And he would say, this is not who you are. I love you. I've called you. Who would want me? I wrestled back and forth with that. God won. It's the good news. By the way, if you got a kid, believe me, God can win. God can win. God can win with your husband and God can win with your wife. God can win. He's bigger. And he loves more than you have any idea. And so, ultimately, man, that call led to this and doing this. And so we're at this place right now where, like, we're building this building. Guys, some of what this teaching and training center is about is that I never want any person, whether they're 15 or, like John said, they're 60 or they're... I don't want one person to ever, ever be told God doesn't speak that way. I want you to know God loves you and he's called you. And maybe it's not vocational, but you have a ministry. You're not too old. You're not too far. You're not too hard. And you're not dead. God's called you. And this is a place. And what we're building, this next step, we had a good place. 
Financially, it was set, almost paid for. I could have written it out. But there's this key piece that's going to take people, not just 15, but 25 and 35 and 55 and 75, who are going to discover that they have a call. They're going to find that the promises of God are yes and amen. And you may have lived your whole life not knowing this is your time. That's what we're about and that's what we're trying to do. When I talk to the staff about this, my staff gets so jazzed and yet sometimes I stand up here and in the middle of trying to say everything that I'm trying to say, I turned into more facts and figure and I can't communicate my heart well on this thing. This is not about a building in any way, shape or form. It's about telling people, yes, God still speaks to you. You're wanted, you belong. There's something that this world needs that your life contains or you're not here. Waymaker Ministries. It's what the Lord told Chris and I to call the next season of our life because God makes a way. Waymaker Ministries. You know, I don't have a fancy clothes for this. JJ said, where do you want Isaac to come up and play? And I said, I'm not sure, and that's why Isaac's not up here right now. <laughs> We are not polished, my friends. It is, it is from the heart. <laughs> and I said, I don't know because I don't know what God wants to do in that moment. And my temptation in the very beginning of this message was that we still need to raise some money for our building. There's a sound system that has to be purchased, which seems like, man, that's such a superficial thing. And yet, here's what it's like without a sound system. And there's a playground. There's just, but I know that the Lord told me, don't ever make it about money. Years and years ago, make it about the heart and let me speak to people. So I don't really have anything other than where's your treasure? Because that'll tell us where your heart is. And it's always, always about the heart. You know that? It's always about your heart. Mm. Pray with me. So, Father, I'm willing always to pursue you. I'm willing in a message to let you speak. I'm willing to change direction, to hold back on a course, to let you have your way and your time. And, Father, right now, I'm totally willing to do that. Whatever you want this close to be is what I want it to be right now. Father, I know it's about hearts. And I know that when I talk about you calling people, I know people hear you in that. And yet they think, how could this be? And instead of telling you that God doesn't speak that way, I want to tell you that the dreams and the words and the promises that you've had over the years are yes and amen. That God fully intends on satisfying those things in your life before you're dead. And I don't know what all those things are. And for some of you, you probably come in and maybe you're pretty tangled up at a lot of things. And you think to yourself, I don't think I could ever, ever get to the place where you are, John, where it's all about God. 
Are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to ask the Lord to help you? Are you willing to say, God, if that's what you want, then you're going to have to do it, but here I am. Are you willing to make him your treasure? You know, the funny thing about that is you can't have two first place in your life. There can only be one first place. Now, God wants that place. Sometimes we put everything else in it, including ourselves. And it's at a moment like this where some type of clarity can come in and God can say, I want you to surrender that place to me. I want you to give first place to me. And maybe you're thinking like, I, I, ah, I don't even know how. So God, even when we don't know how, we're willing to say, have first place. God, in this room are people whose hearts are divided. It's just honest. It's where we live at. So many things vie for our attention and our affection. Some of those things are really good and necessary, and some of them are so superfluous. Some of them are dangerous. Some of them are harming us. Some of them take us in the opposite direction of loving you with all of our hearts. God, we find ourselves in so many places this morning. And yet the one common denominator is that you call all of us. You call all of us. Follow me. Follow me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, we want you to be everything. Jesus said it so clear, to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength and anything else but that Lord really is such a waste of time God help us help us God don't leave us alone don't let us go our own way and have our own devices folks I know what I said that for me, I had such a difficult time thinking, <laughs> you really think somebody wants you? You really think somebody loves you like that? I don't know how I got in that place, but I was in that place, and I think you might be here today thinking, ah, no one could love me like that. And I'm telling you, God loves you like that. He wants you, chose you, picked you. And you hear these words this day because he loves you. And if you haven't given your heart to the Lord before, for whatever reason, is this the day? If what I'm saying is true, and that God loves you like I'm saying and wants you to love him like I'm saying, are you willing? And this is just straightforward. There's no conniving. There's no pretension. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. Here's the question. Are you ready to give your heart to the Lord? To fully give your heart to the Lord? And if you go, I don't even know, John. I, 
I'm asking. I'm putting you in that place. It's called the valley of decision. And will you make a decision today? Will you say yes to Jesus? It's not some fancy prayer. It's not some check you write. It's not some literature you read. God wants you. You. He wants your heart. And I'm asking in great boldness right now. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I know in my spirit I'm talking to somebody right now. Today's the day. And so I'm going to ask boldly for you to do something. Now listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to shame you. But I do want to pray for you. And if today's the day, you want to give your heart fully to the Lord. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to do this. I hear this. God is speaking to me. My answer is yes. If that's you, raise your hand up right now. John, pray for me. Yeah, yeah. Keep it up for a second. I just want to see where you are. I'm not going to come get you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Okay, put your hands back down. There are several of us. And I don't know what each situation is. I don't know if it's been a halfway thing or if it's just for the first time ever. But I just want to pray right now. Father, you see every decision in every heart. This represents maybe in some cases years and years and years. Or in some cases it's just simply a moment in time. You just cross paths and boom, you bring life. But wherever people are coming from, whatever brings them to the point of surrender, where they say, God, you can have all. Right now, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would come and do that. That, Father, you would forgive sins. That you would untangle messes. Church, he would untangle messes. Things that have been attractive to you, that have kept you from being able to fully surrender. I pray that you would lose a taste a heart for those things and that God would become a consuming passion for you. I pray that Jesus would be elevated in your life and the things of this world would just fade and fade and fade away. I pray that you would find the thing that Jonathan, he said it, the thing that truly satisfies. Not temporarily soothes, not numbs you out, not pacifies, but the thing that truly satisfies the reason you were created. I pray now that God be the Lord of all, the King of kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, that he be the first, and that he have all. And I pray it in the name above all names. You know that name? It's Jesus. Amen and amen.